and welcome to Church Online at Encounter. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and strengthens you during this season. If you're watching via Facebook, can I encourage you to tag a friend who would enjoy this service and to connect with us and each other in the comments section. We hope that you enjoy today's service and we look forward to seeing you in the comments section.
Church Online. I'm so glad you could join us today. If you don't already know me, my name is Aston. I'm one of the pastors here at Encounter Christian Church, and it's my pleasure that today to be bringing you a message from the Word of God. Now, today's message is part five of our identity series, where we, over a period of weeks, have been looking at what the Bible can teach us about what God has in mind for us, His church. Now, there are two major metaphors that emerge from the scriptures when we talk about the church, and they are the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Now, last week, my husband, Glenn, in part four of this series, preached an excellent message about the body of Christ. This week, I'm going to be talking about what it means for us to be the bride of Christ. Now, I want you to know if you are joining us for the first time today, first of all, welcome. And secondly, you don't need to have seen the previous sermons to stick with us um, today. This message will stand on its own. If you like what you hear today and you would like to know more, then you can find all of those other messages on Facebook and YouTube and even on our podcast, which you can find on iTunes and SoundCloud. So do take the time to go and look at those. But for now, you can stick with me. So today I am talking about what it means to be the bride of Christ as his church. Now, the concepts of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ are very closely connected in scriptures. So to talk about one, I do have to sort of talk about the other, but also I need to just establish this groundwork before we get into anything. And that is that when the Bible talks about the church as the bride of Christ, it's actually a prophetic identity that is being released over us as the church about a day that is yet to come. Us being the bride of Christ is a promise for the future. But at the same time, it's an identity that we are um, supposed to be pursuing right now. So it's both of those things in one. I'm going to step us through that this morning. I actually have seven steps 
for um, us to take in our understanding of what it means for us to be the bride of Christ. So just a casual seven-point message. I promise it's not going to take too long. We should get straight into it. My first step for us to take this morning is this. First comes the body. Now, I'm not going to recap everything that Glenn said last week, but we do need to start here because it's clear in Scripture, especially in this book of Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul talks to the church about um, what it means to be the body and the bride of Christ. It's very clear here that the body must come first. So we're going to read firstly in Ephesians 4 from verse 4 and then through to 13. It says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then we read in verse 11 what these gifts are. It was he, that's Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And you'll notice that there are five gifts mentioned there. And this is where in the Bible we get the basis for what we call the fivefold ministries. You may have heard that term thrown about a little bit in recent times. And this is exactly where that comes from. Now, these gifts have been given to every single member of the body of Christ. At least one of these gifts, as Christ has apportioned it to each one of us, it says here in Ephesians 4. And this is what these gifts are given to us for. We read in verse 12. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, that's us, the church, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, if you're taking notes today, I encourage you to write down those two words, whole measure. This is an important thread in today's message. We're going to circle back there. This is going to help you remember whole measure. I promised we were going to be quick. First comes the body. We're done with that point. As long as we're understanding that the whole point of us functioning as a body and for these gifts that Christ has given to us to, is to build up the body to attain maturity. And then we are ready to take the next step in our identity as the church. And this is where the idea of the bride is introduced. So in the very next chapter of Ephesians, Paul writes again to the church. And again, he talks about the body, but now he introduces the the concept of the bride and my second step this morning is after first comes the body now here comes the bride in Ephesians 5 we read this in verse 25 husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, listen carefully to this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. I'm sure you've heard that read at many a wedding. In verse 32, Paul says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. 
Now, you may not be familiar with Bible history, but Paul is actually a spiritual giant. This is the Apostle Paul, who once hated Jesus and then had a miraculous encounter with God, with the Spirit of God, and became one of Jesus's greatest ambassadors on the earth. He's responsible for writing much of the New Testament, from which we take many of our beliefs and understandings um, about what Jesus's life means for us as believers in this day and age and who actually started many churches that we read about in the Bible, in the New Testament, and in these letters that we can read to these churches, continues to teach and train them. Paul is a legend whose legacy we stand in even today. And he says this relationship between Christ and his church that is so like the intimacy between husband and wife is a profound mystery. Now, I don't know about you, but such a mystery makes me want to find out more. And actually, the idea of God being married to his people like a husband and wife is not introduced for the first time here by Paul. It's not a new one. Actually, what Paul is prophesying here about the church being presented as a radiant bride before her bridegroom, which is Jesus, is actually the total redemption of what was God's original plan for, uh, for humanity from the very beginning. My third step this morning, you've heard the saying something old, something new, something borrowed and something blue about weddings. Well, here we've got something old and something new. Because actually, the idea of God being married to his people is found all throughout the Old Testament. You can read about the marriage of the prophet Hosea and his wife, Gomer. And the heartbreak and the redemption of their story is included here to tell us about how far God will go to redeem his people, how far he will go to forgive his people, and how patient he is in waiting for our return to his very deep love of us. And in the Song of Songs, or some Bibles call it the Songs of Solomon, we see this book of poems written between husband and wife expressing their desire to be intimate with one another. It's included, yes, as a model or a prototype of what an earthly marriage can be like, the beauty of intimacy between a human husband and wife, but it's also widely understood to represent God's desire for closeness with us, his people, and the intimacy of knowledge that he wants to have of us and for us to have of him, dwelling as husband and wife between God and his church. And then again in Isaiah 54, you may remember this was a very key scripture for our church last year in 2019. In verse 5, we read this, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. See, the words of Isaiah the prophet here are actually God speaking to the people of Israel through Isaiah and letting them know that even though at the time that Isaiah is speaking this to them, they feel deserted and rejected and distressed that there is a time coming when God will again regather his people, that he will redeem them as his holy people, as his beloved, and they will live again as close as husband 
and wife. And what is given to the people of Israel here as a promise through Isaiah is actually given to us as the New Testament church, as believers who are a part of the spiritual generation that is waiting for the return of Jesus. We are given a promise just like this through Paul in Ephesians, that there is going to be a time when we are redeemed and called to God, um, redeemed and called to be presented before Jesus himself. This idea of the church, holy and blameless, being presented before the bridegroom, and that is Jesus, that we read here in Ephesians, is actually echoed in the Bible's prophecies about the end times. It's a a, a promise of something that is to come. And we can read about this in the Bible prophecies that are recorded in a book that is sometimes known as John's Apocalypse, but in my Bible is called Revelation. Now I know Revelation is sometimes thought of as the scary book in the Bible. But just as any discussion or any um, comprehensive study on the identity of the church would be incomplete without discussing this really important concept that is given to us in the Bible of us as the bride of Christ. It would be incomplete without discussing the bride of Christ. So too would any study on the bride of Christ be insufficient if we didn't place it in the correct context as a prophetic identity that is given to the church and promised for the last days of the earth. We sometimes call it the end times. But this isn't something to be alarmed by. I know that sometimes teaching on this subject can seem scary or wild or um, as if these preachers are off on a tangent and certainly it can be uncomfortable. But this sort of existential reckoning, this coming to terms with our mortality is something that actually is a part of the human condition. And whether you believe in God or not, we all must at some point Reckon with the fact that we are mortal, that our days are numbered, and in a bigger picture, so too is the life of this earth. You don't need to be a scientist or an astronomer to understand that the lifespan of this planet is actually contingent upon it rotating around the sun, which we understand to be a dying star. You know, even the psalmists understood this so many thousands of years ago. In Psalm 102 and verse 25, the psalmist is praying to God and he says this, It was you who laid the foundations of the earth and you who created the heavens. They will perish, yet you remain. They will wear out like a garment and like clothing. You will change them and they will be discarded, but you will remain and your years are without number. Yes, this is uncomfortable. But the Bible actually offers hope. If you have faith in Jesus and you believe his word, then there's hope for you in this message. And there's hope for us in this book of Revelation. You see, what Revelation has to tell us is that Jesus, the bridegroom, is coming back. He's coming back to rescue and redeem his bride, which is us, the church, the body of believers in him. So don't be fooled by the ideas of Armageddon and apocalypse that are found in this book. It's not fear-mongering to talk about this because actually God doesn't deal in fear. He deals in hope. And so my fourth step for us this morning is that this isn't about a doomsday. It's about a groomsday. In Revelation 21, we can read one of these um, visions that is given to John where it talks about the bride. 
being presented, just like Paul prophesied in Ephesians. In Revelation 21, verse 2, it says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, we understand by now that this is the church being beautifully dressed for her husband, which is Jesus. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You see, this is what God has to say about the end of the world. It's a promise. It's a promise of protection, of comfort, and of deliverance. Then in verse 5, we read, Who who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. You know, I believe there is such a stirring in the spirit for us, the church, to embrace our calling, to prepare this body to be presented to Jesus at his return. You know, this is why these fivefold gifts are given to the church by Jesus himself for us, each one of us, to exercise the gift that has been graced on our lives for the building up of the body so that we are ready to take this next step to embody our identity as the bride of Christ, holy and blameless. So we should be pursuing unity in this body and we should be pursuing the operating of these gifts in our lives so that we can build up the body to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, we talk about this promise in Revelation 21 as being a restoration of God's plan to dwell in relationship with us, to actually live on the same plane that we live in. And this is just as he envisioned in the world he created for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's what's being implied when God says, write this down. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In showing us the end, he's actually sending us back to the beginning. And so that, friends, is my fifth step this morning. Let's go back to the beginning. You know, we've just been in Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. So now we turn to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And in Genesis 2, we can actually read about the first marriage, according to the Christian tradition, when God presented Eve to Adam in the garden. Now, in this chapter previously, it describes the six days of creation and the seventh day of rest as it's laid out that God undertook first to create light and then to separate the earth from the waters, to create the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all of the vegetation that would sustain this life. And then, of course, Adam himself created from the dirt. And every day in the first five days of creation, God looked at what he had made and he said three words, it is good. And then on the sixth day, all of these animals are paraded before Adam. And one by one, he names them. 
and amongst everything that had already been created from the dirt, just as Adam himself was created from the earth, not a single suitable companion was found for Adam. And this is the first time in human history that God regarded what he had made and said, this is not good, when he said it is not good for Adam to be alone. And here's God's solution to this problem. In Genesis chapter 2, we read in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken from man. Verse 24, get this. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. These are the exact words that Paul quoted in Ephesians 5 when he was talking about Christ's relationship to the church that he called the profound mystery. Paul actually sent us back to the beginning by quoting this scripture, just as God in his vision uh, that he gave to John was sending us back to the beginning when he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So there's something here that we are supposed to learn. You see, Adam is understood to be a prototype for Jesus. It says in Romans 5 verse 12 that just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, so too was sin taken from the world through one man, Jesus. And so we see too the marriage of Adam can be a prototype for the marriage of Christ and the church. Now, Bible scholars would say there are two um, really prominent things that carry weight for us as believers in Jesus that we can take from this marriage between Adam and Eve and apply to our relationship with Jesus. And the first is this, that Adam needed a helper who was like him. None of the animals that were made from the dirt were suitable. And so God actually took something from Adam and made a helper who was like him. You know, what we should understand from this is that us, the church, as Christ's bride, are supposed to be like the bridegroom, Jesus. The identities that we form for ourselves that arise out of created things, out of earthly successes or earthly formats, these actually can't form in us the type of body that it takes to hold and reflect the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Christ's bride must be formed from him and nothing more. The second thing that people much smarter than me would say about this marriage between Adam and Eve is that the bride was formed from only a part of Adam's body. And that carries with it the idea of separation, of just a portion of the body being needed to make the bride. You see, our calling as believers in this generation, I keep saying it, that we are waiting for Christ's second coming. Our calling is to stay ready. And this idea of separation is very much tied up with the idea of readiness. And we understand this because of parables that Jesus himself shared. Our sixth step this morning is this, get ready, get ready, get ready. 
In Luke 17, we can read some of this teaching that Jesus gives about readiness for his return. In verse 34, he says, I tell you on that night. And by the way, when Jesus says on that night or on that day or at that time, he's actually signaling to us, the readers, that he's talking about his second coming. So here in verse 34, Jesus says, on that night, and this indicates an end times event, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. You see this idea of separation of the ready from the not ready. Jesus will only gather those who are ready to be part of his spotless, holy and blameless bride to be presented to him on that groom's day. Again, we can read another separation in the parable of the ten virgins found in Matthew 25, where Jesus says again the words, at that time. So we know he's talking about his return. There's another separation here that takes place out of the ten women that were chosen to be part of this wedding party. Only five of them went out for the night prepared with enough oil that even if the bridegroom took long to, longer to appear than they expected, they were prepared with enough oil, which by the way represents the anointing of God, which in this context is the five-fold ministry gifts that he has graced each one of us with. Only half of them went prepared for the groom to take longer than they had expected. And so the other five whose lamps had gone out by the time the bridegroom appeared missed out on going to the wedding party. See, there's this separation, half are ready, half are not. Some people would say about this idea of readiness and separation and the fact that Eve was taken from just a part of Adam's body is that it means that there will only be a remnant that is just a portion of the church that is selected to be Christ's bride and to come under God's protection during the trials of the last days on the earth so that that remnant can then be presented to Jesus. Married to him and responsible for the birth of the son that is prophesied in Revelation 12 as um, understood widely to represent a great host of people. In fact, we believe this is going to be the revival of the church that happens in the last days when there is going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and when many, many people will come to faith in Jesus through the marriage of Christ and his bride. I do want to say we don't have time to go into this just now, but the book of Revelation is a book filled with hope and that even those who are separated, left behind, there is a second chance for them. And as we see this opportunity through the protection and presentation of the bride, many, many, many people will come to know Jesus as their saviour. And, you know, some people say about this idea of separation that it means only some believers will be chosen. But I would propose today that a more useful thing for us to understand about this separation is that it actually needs to be a separation that takes place on a deeply personal level. I need to be separated from the things in me that are not ready, from everything in me that is not like Jesus this is a separation of bone and marrow. I need to take my identity directly from Jesus himself and not secondhand from the world and submit to the separation process, the work of the Holy Spirit on us to perfect our faith that I might leave everything behind me that is not like Jesus, that we might be willing to be separated from things that perhaps bring us earthly comfort but are not like Jesus. You see, in that way, the remnant is in me. The remnant is in you. 
if we would only leave everything that is not like him behind. I was reminded this week as I was preparing of a story that's often told about the great artist Michelangelo. I don't even know if it's true, but it's become part of our folklore nonetheless. And this is about the um, great statue of David that Michelangelo carved out of marble. And I've never had the pleasure of seeing it in real life. I'm sure many of you have. But even in photos, you get a sense of the artistry and the mastery of this artist as he was creating this thing. You can see the veins in his hands and the toenails on his toes, every rib and muscle carved out of this stone. Even the curls on David's head are so perfectly formed. And the story goes like this, that Michelangelo, after creating this masterpiece, was asked, how did you even begin to approach such a monumental task? In fact, two artists had already tried and failed to create a sculpture out of this very uh, piece of marble from which Michelangelo carved David. And Michelangelo said this, well, I simply looked at the stone I didn't see what everybody else sees. I didn't see a slab of rock. What he saw was David. And then he simply chipped away everything that wasn't David. Sounds easy, doesn't it? You know, I believe that when God is looking at us, the church, he sees a beautiful bride. But the work that he wants to do is to start chipping away everything that is not what he sees for us. Haven't we lost a lot this year? Haven't we had to say goodbye to a lot this year? Now, I'm not suggesting for a second that God caused this pandemic to come across the earth in the ways or or caused the pain that has come from the separation of us from one another and from so many of the things that were supporting us But it is so obvious to me that God is using this time to work on us, to actually mould us into people who are more like him. That he is using this to shape us into the bride of Christ that he sees when he looks at us through the chipping away, through the stripping away of things that are not like him. You know, this work that he is doing, we can either resist the pain of that or we can submit to it. I've brought a prop here today and I've got a couple of helpers ready to help me. Now, this is us, the church, today. You can see there's something maybe resembling a human form under there, but essentially this is a pile of rags. And so I want us to imagine God looking at this pile of rags that is us. I'm especially, I mean, 2020, right? Pile of rags. Um, And what he sees here is the bride, Now, this is the work that I believe God is doing right now on the bride and will continue to do if we will partner with him, is he is stripping away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Now, my little helpers are going to do the work of the Holy Spirit here and start removing some of these things that do not look like the bride of Christ. There's worry on there, and they're going to remove, strip away the worry. There's materialism and insecurity. I see on there the fear of man. And when God looks at that and he sees the fear of man, he says, well, that's just not like Jesus, so that has to go. He's stripping it away. We see on there the worship of money, unhealthy attachments. There's a lot of stuff that God has to strip away for us to resemble Jesus, for us to have bodies that can actually hold the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. There's self-reliance that's being stripped away. Jealousy. Jealousy spite, 
codependent relationships, competitiveness, victimhood. Jesus wants to heal that because it doesn't look like him and he wants to strip it away. Trauma, he wants to heal that because it doesn't look like him and he wants to strip it away. Anything that would come against the unity of the body of believers, everything that would come against our holiness, our blamelessness and our readiness to be presented to him and to see revival in those days will be stripped away. I believe that many of us are experiencing the pain of separation from things that have come under God's spotlight. And with increased urgency at the moment, I see the work of God and of his Holy Spirit coming to strip away everything that is not like him so that we may turn from this pile of rags into this beautiful bride. Thank you so much, Ruby and Willow. You've done a wonderful job. Doesn't she look beautiful? And I ask them to take time with this train. Because if you know Bible symbology, the train represents the glory of God. And I just see a bride that is so beautifully ready to be presented to her bridegroom on that day, full of the glory of God. But I have a question for you today. Do you know who this bridegroom is? We've made a lot of steps today. This is my last one. I'm just going to quickly recap them for you. First comes the body. Now here comes the bride. There was something old and something new. We went to Revelation and learnt about it being a groom's day, not a doomsday. And then we went back to Genesis. Let's go back to the beginning. Our sixth step was to get ready, get ready, get ready. And our seventh and final step this morning is this. To be like him, we must know what he is like. How could we submit ourselves to being more like him if we don't know what he is like? So do you know him? Do you talk to him? Do you let him talk to you? Do you know his strength, his compassion, his selflessness? Have you encountered his sacrifice? Have you read about his life? You can do that. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, include the details of Jesus' life, and it's there that you can learn about his care for the sick, his compassion for the lowly, and his courage to stand up for what was right in the face of people who could oppose him and oppress him even to the point of death. Do you know him? You see, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us to lead us in the perfecting of our faith so that on that day, there may be so little of the world left in us that we can reflect the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. And we are right now in a period of engagement. The wedding date has been set. It is now the work of God in this body to prepare us as a bride to be presented before the groom so that we may be a part of birthing revival on the earth. Friends, this is a holy calling. Our identity must be found in Jesus. We are to be united as one body, mature and operating in the gifts that he has left for us, so that we make, may make this body ready for his return. By building up the body to appropriate the whole measure of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your anointing to preach this word today. I thank you for each and every person who is hearing this and for the gifts that you have graced their lives with.
God, I ask for a stirring in hearts to take place right now, a stirring of desire to come under submission to this work of stripping away and chipping away that you are doing, a stirring in hearts of readiness to let go, God, of the things that are not like you and readiness to become more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that for each person who is hearing this right now, who has set their hearts on being like you, that you would continue to speak to them, to inspire them, to answer this holy calling, that you would seal up this word in our hearts, that you would instruct, lead and guide each one. And God, I ask you for a great increase of the exercise of these gifts that you have graced these precious people with. May we see in this body the whole measure of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, church, thank you for sticking with me. That's it for today. I hope you have a great week and I will see you online next time. Hey, what a great word. We hope you heard something this morning that has blessed you. If you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, please head to our website and click on the Next Steps tab and leave your details. One of our pastors will be more than happy to get in contact with you. As Christians, we believe in putting God first in every area of our life. And giving to church is one way in which we can put God first in our finances. There are different ways that you can give online to encounter by heading to our website or downloading the church app and following the instructions there. Encounter Church is more than just a Sunday service. We have lots of different things happening throughout the week. To stay in the loop, follow us on social media and download our church app. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next week at 9.30am for our pre-service Facebook Live, then 10am for our church online. We hope you have a great week.